Genesis chapter 24, How to Choose a Bride. Now, there are several key statements in the passage. The first one is in verse 27. Keep your Bible open and watch with me these important statements anointed by the Spirit of God. Verse number 27, I being in the way, the Lord led me. There's no more beautiful page than this one. I being in the way, the Lord led me. That sounds right, doesn't it? That should be what all of us could say about any decision that we make in life, not only who our bride will be, but any decision of impact in our life. The Lord led me. Abraham was now 140 years old. That means that Isaac was 40, 39, 40, right in there. So he was not a kid by any stretch of the imagination, but they say life begins at 40. And it was certainly true for Isaac in the sense of finding his bride. Abraham had been blessed spiritually and materially. He was wealthy in every respect. But there was one thing left to accomplish in the life of Abraham before he died. That was to find a bride for Isaac. Verse 1 speaks of the blessing of the Lord upon this man Abraham. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Did you know that's the will of God for every one of us? The New Testament counterpart is Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Abraham sought God first, and the word of God tells us that the Lord blessed him in all things. And that's what we want. That's what we desire. Therefore, it's important for us to give our attention to these verses of Scripture. Verse 14 has another key statement, one statement in the prayer that Pastor Brown alluded to this morning. Let her be the one whom thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. Let her be the one whom thou hast appointed. Not my will, but thine be done, O Lord. How important is guidance in all things. And this was the prayer of that servant. Lord, let it be your appointment, not mine. 2 Corinthians 6.14 tells us that we are not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. This is the most important qualification for future happiness, to be joined together with like mind and like spirit. There are several questions that I encourage people who are thinking about being married to ask themselves. One is, are you united in what you believe? Do you love the Lord? Do you worship together? Is the church important so it comes first when there are conflicts in schedule? 
What an important question to ask. Are you united in what you believe? Be ye not unequally yoked together. The things of righteousness do not fit the things of unrighteousness. What fellowship hath light with darkness? They do not agree. Are you united in what you believe? The second question is, can you talk together? It's a terrible thing to find out you're stuck for life with a dummy. Something that won't answer or talk or communicate. So it's important to find out before you're stuck for life if you can talk together. And let me say this too, don't shut your ears to profanity, to dirty stories or lack of good taste on the part of this individual. That says a lot about the character of the individual. If that's the characteristic, forget it. The third thing is, do you think together? Do you see eye to eye on the basic issues of morals, religion, integrity, and the like? It's important that you think basically together if there is to be companionship. And the fourth question is, is it comfortable to be together? After 25 years of counseling people after their marriages, I have seen an overriding factor in almost every situation where there has been trouble. That overriding factor is what I call a lack of mutual interests. Their lives are going this way instead of this way, farther apart rather than together. So the question is, is it comfortable to be together? Do you enjoy doing many of the same things? Now, don't you ever come to this pastor and say, but I'll get him converted after we're married. I know I can do it. Don't bother me with that. In the first place, it's not scriptural. Be not unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. And secondly, it doesn't come up right or positive in the questions that I've just suggested. It doesn't fit. It won't work. So hear the pastor this morning, will you? Not only those who are seeking a mate, but who are seeking God for direction in many areas of life. What I have to share is important to all of us. There are three characters that we're going to talk about comprising our outline for the back of your bulletin. Abraham, Isaac, and Rebekah. The outline is simple. Abraham's example, Isaac's faith, and Rebekah's example. How did Abraham know God would provide the right woman for Isaac? Well, there's a simple answer to that question, and it's this. 
Abraham trusted the promises of God. Isaac was God's possession. He had been laid on the altar many years before, and Abraham knew that God would supply the need. Last Sunday at this same hour, parents stood here at the altar, and I believe there were 15 little ones presented to the Lord in dedication. I mentioned that a dedication was a contract between two worlds, heaven and earth, that God was entering into covenant with those parents, saying, I will bless them, I will guide them, I will put my hand upon them. That's exactly what Abraham had done with Isaac, and Abraham knew that God would be faithful to his promise. The promised seed could never be born if this were not the case. Isaac had to have a wife if the promised seed was eventually to come. So Abraham was believing the promise of God. Parents, you are a vital key in your sons and daughters finding the right companion. You have an obligation to those children up to that point, guiding, praying, instructing, helping, encouraging, doing what Abraham did. He made that servant put his hand under his thigh, a sign of covenant, and say, I will not let Isaac marry a woman except from my kindred, from my family not from the Canaanitish women, but one from my homeland, one from my family, one from the seed that God has promised to bless. And the servant promised. The same responsibility lies on us as parents today with our children. Let us not forget that. It's not only the young man's duty or the young woman's duty to seek God and to find God's will, but it's the parent's responsibility to guide and to direct and to pray and to counsel and not say whatever will be, will be. Abraham would not agree with that at all. She must come from within the family of God, and I like that. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 39 is the word, only in the Lord. That statement is a strong admonition to all of us, only in the Lord. Parents sometimes push their children into society and out of the blessing of the Lord. They're so fearful that they're not going to be accepted by their peers, so they push them into society. Oh, they've got to go to the prom or they won't be accepted. Or they've got to do this or they've got to do that or they've got to do something else. Parents, be careful that you don't push your children into society and out of the blessing of the Lord. Abraham said she must come from within the family of God. I like marriages born in church. I like unions formed in the pews of the congregation. 
Out of the family of God she is to come. I think that's God's desire. Then Abraham really felt that he would rather Isaac remain single than for him to go back to, the, to Ur of Chaldees for a wife. He would rather see him remain as he was than take a wife from the Canaanite nations. Now, I think a parent must feel that as well. C.M. Ward, former speaker on Revival Time, wrote some very interesting words on this subject. He said, No woman is so thoroughly widowed as the woman who is widowed spiritually. She is among the walking wounded. The man in her life enters only the outer court of her existence. Her loneliness and pathos are sharpened by every hour she enters the house of God by herself. I have seen it over the years just as exactly as Brother Ward has seen it. The widows in the house of God whose husbands are out there doing something else with no concern about the things of God. For those of you who are making decisions yet about your life's companion, you have an opportunity to avoid that tragedy by marrying into the family of God. And if you don't find that one, then remain as you are. And God will bless you there. We'll have more to say about that tonight. The woman for Isaac must come from within that family she must not be one of the heathen women. It's not because Isaac couldn't have had some other woman why those Canaanitish women were lining up for Isaac. He was from a wealthy family. He was looked up to. He was an outstanding individual. But Isaac would not fall for that trap either. And he waited patiently on the Lord. But what an example Father Abraham was to his son in that waiting process and in pointing him in the proper direction. It is the responsibility of every parent. Now let's secondly take a look at Isaac's faith. Many men run into perplexities by their own folly and self-will. They never ask whether their acts are right or wrong, wise or foolish, until they begin to taste the bitter consequences. Then they cry to God for help in their dilemma. But it does not have to be that way. We do not have to depend upon what our heart alone is saying or our will alone is dictating. There are checkpoints in God that we all can find. What did Isaac do? Well, look down toward the end of the chapter, verse 63. We did not read that far. We would still be reading, probably. But there is a statement there that is beautiful and so significant. Verse 63. It says that Isaac went out to meditate in the field. 
Isaac was preparing himself for the will of God. Now, I want you to see in this simple statement an absence of what we often see in us. There is the absence of prancing back and forth trying to discover the will of God. There is the absence of the wringing of hands. There is the absence of sorrow over wrong decisions in the past. None of that is there. What you see is a man patiently waiting on his God for direction in his life. He went to the field to meditate. No one of us has ever had God put on a screen his plan for our whole life. Nobody can take a plug, stick it in the wall, and there in front of him, in some magic way, is God's whole plan for life. For all of us, it's the same. God's dealings with us are one line at a time. It's kind of like when our boys were small and they were learning to read and we would sit with them, we would cover up everything but the line to read. That's the way to learn. You read across the line. When you get to that, you drop whatever you're covering up the other lines with for the next line. And they learn to read line by line by line. That's the way it is with us in life. When we finish one line, God uncovers the next. That's what Isaac had learned. He had gotten through that sacrifice circumstance on Mount Moriah. That was one line. Now he came to another line, how to choose a bride. And he felt the same God would provide. And he went into the field to meditate, to listen to God. Speak, my Lord, thy servant heareth. He was not like Samson of old, who when his parents said, Samson, you should not marry her. She's not of us. Samson said, I want her, for she pleaseth me well. How tragic. After his eyes had been punctured by the Philistines, and he was serving as a donkey grinding at the mill, Samson finally cried unto the Lord one more time. And he pulled the pillars of that place down, and he slew more in his death than he did in his lifetime. But how tragic that a man of such potential would go out of life that way with his eyes out, his heart having for a period of time been far from God. He listened to his own will rather than meditating in the field on what God desired of his life. The picture of Isaac is that of Psalm 23. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He was not fussing, fuming, trying to discover God's way. Think with me on some of the statements of Psalm 23, if you will. There is in these six verses a calm assurance that every believer needs. For example, the psalmist said, He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. There's never a question of right or wrong. 
He simply leads me in the paths of righteousness. The person who loves God puts his feet in righteous paths. He's hardly conscious of right or wrong. He's simply walking in the paths of righteousness as God leads his life. Have you ever found it that way? If you are struggling and struggling and day by day it's a nightmare of whether you do right or whether you do wrong, you're probably not totally in the paths of righteousness yet. And you need to move in to the paths of righteousness because it's easy to walk in the paths of righteousness when your heart is right before God. It's natural. Then he said, Thou anointest my head with oil. Now this has a sermon in it alone. It means that there is always a useful place for the person walking in the paths of righteousness. Thou anointest my head with oil. The Holy Spirit is upon me. Wherever I go, whatever God asks me to do, it's a useful place. It's a blessing. Hallelujah. And we all need to feel that way, that what I'm doing is useful. The oil of the Lord is upon my head. That was Isaac. Then he said, my cup runneth over, always a place of mighty provision. Sure, it was a big thing. Where am I going to get this wife? But Isaac knew that his cup would run over because God is a mighty God and he would provide whatever was needed. I feel that way today. My cup runs over. He's a mighty God. He's greater than all of my problems and all of my needs. He's God, and my cup runs over. Then he said, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. A four-year-old preacher's daughter quoting that said, surely goodness and mercy shall fall all over me. And that's a good translation. And that's the way of a righteous person. Goodness and mercy follow him. And then the eternal benefits in doing the will of God are in the last verse. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Isn't that tremendous? Decision after decision after decision leads us into the very presence of God. And there is eternal blessedness and eternal glory. Goodness and mercy follow us all of our life, and then we dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That was Isaac's faith. That was Isaac's position, trusting God, walking in the paths of righteousness, oil on his head, his cup running over, goodness and mercy and the promise of everlasting life. That is God's desire for every one of us. Now, the third person is Rebecca. How many daughters are named Rebecca? Becky, for short. I wonder how many of you are named Rebecca in church. Raise your hand. How many Rebecca's here today? There's one here, one over here. Oh, there's got to be more than two. Oh, yes, up there. I knew there would be. It's a popular name. Becca had a big decision to make. 
Will she stay at home and be a servant, or will she by faith believe the words of the servant and go to be with Isaac, a man she has never seen? <laughs> Put yourself in her shoes, girls. Now, in verse 55, her family says, Don't go! Her brother and her mother said, let the damsel abide with us a few days. There's danger in delay when God speaks. The natural man always says, stay here. You've gone far enough. Sinners can be in a hurry about everything but the salvation of their soul. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found, the Bible says. Call upon him while he is near. Why is it we can hurry to everything else except to the altar when God is speaking to us? She was faced with a monumental decision to stay with her family or to go to a land she had never seen and to be with a man she had never seen. Then the trip would be long and difficult for her. Have you ever ridden a camel? I declare that is one experience you should have once only. That is the most unusual beast I have ever seen. It seems like there's a motor in one end and a motor in the other, and they never agree. You're going up when you think you should be going down, and vice versa. Rebecca had to ride a camel many miles to find Isaac. It was not easy. Who said the way that is right would always be easy? Who said it would always be like a well-strewn path of roses? Jesus spoke about crosses, about being forsaken, misunderstood, the off-scouring of the earth, but that isn't the point. His way is the right way, and when you find it, whether it's by camel or BMW, it doesn't matter. God is in it, and you're right, and you feel good. God's way is the right way. In the bulletin last week, we asked you to write ABC, and some of you have because copies have been coming in the mail of these letters. I have been informed that ABC TV plans to air a situation comedy series about two homosexual lovers sometime this fall, which will be called Adam and Eve's, and which is a blasphemous mockery of God's creation of man and woman in the Bible. This is a blatant attempt to force decent Americans not only to tolerate homosexuality, but to accept this perversion as normal, even glamorous, and present this type of lifestyle to our young people to follow. I am personally appalled that ABC has sunk this low. There are virtually millions of people like myself that are sick to death of the disgusting programming on television that presents sexual perversion as an accepted way of life. Is nothing sacred anymore? And the letter goes on, and thank you for sending it to others that I have received. You see, when you do it God's way, it's the right way. And you don't have to ponder very long what way to go. And I see it as the end of the age approaches, the necessity for us to decide, like Rebecca decided, to just do it God's way, period. 
I got a call this week from the local homosexual church asking me if I would debate the pastor of that church at Sac State University. They are going to call it the big gay debate. I said, let me think about it. I thought about it a day, prayed about it, talked to the staff about it, and I called that church back and I said, no, I will not for one reason. There is nothing to debate. It's settled. It's final. We love the sinner, but we hate the sin. And I want to make it very clear. I love anybody, wherever they come from. But I hate the sin. I guess you know that. And as far as I'm concerned, all of that kind of debate is senseless and useless because there is nothing to debate. It's clear. It's there. It's black and white. And I've decided we're just going to do it the right way and God's way and let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. And that's the stance that Rebecca took. God is the third party. John 2, 1 and 2, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and Jesus was called. Isn't that glorious? And Jesus was called. Now the spiritual man takes over, verse 58. In verse 55 was the natural man. The brother and the mother said, let the damsel abide with us a few days. Rebecca said in verse 58, I will go. Glory to God. When you decide to get up out of that seat and come to the altar, what a day of victory. When you decide to turn your back on your sin, believe the Bible, trust God, make him that third party in your marriage or whatever, what a day of victory that is. The servant must have jumped for joy when she said, I will go. Romans 6.19 speaks of yielding your members servants of iniquity or servants of righteousness. And Rebecca was just saying, I'm going to submit myself as a servant of righteousness. And there was great rejoicing. A preacher feels it when a sinner says, I will receive Christ. Angels in heaven rejoice. And then Rebecca's faith was rewarded. Her name was recorded in God's word. She shared Isaac's love and wealth. She became an important part of God's plan. If she had refused to go, she would have died an unknown woman out of the will of God. And oh, what a happy ending to this chapter. As she gets on the camel and she goes mile after mile, and here is Isaac out meditating in the field. The camels are coming. And Rebecca looks from atop her camel and says to the servant, Who is that meditating in the field? And the servant says, that is the master that I am bringing you to. And she leaps from off of the camel because she didn't want him to see her coming on a camel. She wanted to be right down there, eye to eye, lip to lip, when she met the man of her dreams. 
And so he comes from meditating in the field and she comes from the place of obedience and they meet. And what a moment it was. The Bible says that Isaac took Rebekah to his mother's tent and he loved her. Sometimes I'm asked, how long should a courtship be? But make sure you have all the ingredients they had. I don't think these kind you find in Las Vegas or Reno. But when it was the way it was here, what a marvelous thing that when they came together, they knew they were one. And the marriage was consummated in the tent of Isaac's mother. And his heart was comforted over the death of his mother. And he loved Rebecca. And out of that seed, there came a mighty line of blessing. Friend, how do you choose a bride? You do it the same way. There's a little line in the Bible that I wish we would all tuck away today. He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. It has to do with the will of God. Now, for us, Jesus is Isaac, and Rebekah is the church. Jesus is going to take a bride. The bride will one day see her lover coming and rise to be with him. And he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The clouds will part. Jesus will appear in the heavens. And the Rebecca of earth will rise and meet her Lord in the clouds and forever be with the Lord. You abide forever when you do the will of God. Oh, what pain and agony when we do not. The Holy Spirit shared with me three things to leave you in my conclusion. For any decision, whether it's a bride, a groom, a job, whatever, here are three things I want you never to forget. The first is slow down. I was driving to the airport the other day to catch a flight to Los Angeles to marry this couple I've mentioned. It was a Friday. My day had been very full since 6 o'clock in the morning, and I have learned to allow so much time, just enough, to get into the airport and get on the plane. I hate to wait in airport. So I figured 15 minutes by the time I hit the parking lot, the plane would be in the air, and that was just right. got to use every minute, you know. So I was buzzing down I-5. The radio was on one of the Christian stations, and up overhead, suddenly, one of these great giant birds came. A jet left that runway and flew right overhead, and it was a magnificent sight just booming through the air. 
I thought, yeah, I'm going to be on one in a minute. I'll get down there and get this. I'm on my way. When suddenly on the radio came the song, slow down, slow down. Wow. It's a great gospel song. Was that just coincidence? I doubt it. Frank Lindquist said, when I stop praying, coincidences stop happening. I had a briefcase full of work to do on the plane. When I got in that plane, weary in mind and weary in body, I stuffed my attache case under the seat. I put my head back, and I went to sleep. And I slept all the way to Los Angeles. I think the guy next to me thought I was doped. <laughs> but God had spoken to my heart. Slow down. Isaac went out to meditate in the field. I spoke at a real estate breakfast this week, and I've had... Wonderful opportunities to do that in this city, and God bless all the real estate people. That was an exciting bunch of folk. They wanted to be motivated, so I motivated them. Afterwards, several talked to me personally. The head of this particular company said, Pastor, I've been negligent. I haven't been to church like I should. I get so wrapped up in the business. I said, yes. Matthew 6.33 is important. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added. Slow down. Dear lady came to me, and she may be in the service today, who said, I moved up from Los Angeles from Jack Hayford's church, and I haven't been to church since I moved up here because I didn't think there was a church like that church anywhere around. Now she said, I think I have found one. I said, you have found one. And others came with the same sense of you know, I've just been moving so fast, maybe I've been missing something. You can never find the will of God on the move. You've got to slow down and meditate in the field to have the story end like Isaac's story ended. The second thing God spoke to my heart about this service is consider your way of life. Is it carnal or spiritual? The natural man says, stay here. The spiritual man says, I will go. What voice are you listening to? Consider your way of life. Am I doing it God's way or my way? Have I gotten in the way of God? Therefore, I cannot hear him and cannot be directed by him. Third thing is, do the will of God. And you say how, and I'm glad you asked, because here's how. Fill your mind with God. You may read all the books in the world about the will of God and hear all the taped sermons on the will of God and miss it. Here is how to do the will of God. Fill your mind with God. 
Isaiah said it. The will of God comes with peace. The will of God comes with the sense of his presence. The will of God comes with the knowledge that it's his desire and not my desire. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. There it is. Isaiah 26, verse 3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Dante said it, in his will is our peace. And it's true. Fill your mind with God and you then accept his will. It takes away fear of getting lost in life. And that's a fear all of us experience at times. Am I going the right way? Am I doing this thing right? That takes away the fear. I was in an airplane with Charlie Fite and Bob Erickson flying down to Los Angeles some time ago relating to our building program, private plane. I was amazed at that instrument panel and its ability. He had a little dial there and a book. You could turn that dial to any set of numbers and get airports all along the way. We could find out what the weather was. If we wanted to land, we could find out all about that. It was amazing. A beam kept coming into that airplane, giving us all the information we needed. And I thought, oh, how it is with God when we're on the right beam, the right wavelength, the fear is gone. We move ahead with courage and with confidence because God is giving us peace of mind. He keeps us in perfect peace. It eliminates conflicts within ourselves. So many of you are just squandered. You're wasted. Your energies, your resources are nil because of so many wrong decisions, countless wrong decision, decisions, and you're afraid to almost get out of bed in the morning. This eliminates conflicts within ourselves when our mind is stayed on God. A voice in us says what is right and what is wrong. We are kept in perfect peace. Rabbi Joshua Liebman wrote the book Peace of Mind when he was 38 years of age. He was swamped with people seeking that peace when the book hit the market. Mail was intense. The telephone rang constantly. And he tried to help every person that came to him, but he died at 41 three years later. He could not stand up under the burden. Before he died, Rabbi Liebman said, I am appalled at the multitude of people who have never learned to empty their minds. You know, I think he was right. That was one of the great secrets of Isaac as he went out to meditate and feel. He was emptying his mind of everything doing or having to do with Isaac, and he filled his mind with God. And Rebecca came. They were united. Slow down. 
Consider your way of life. Do the will of God. You will find your bride and anything else you need when you do it that way. That's what God laid on my heart to share with you from Genesis 24. Now, what are you going to do with it? I said, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to go out of here and say, well, I'm going to make this decision. I'm going to do this. And you're all cluttered up within, all bogged down. You don't have peace. You don't really sense the direction of the Holy Spirit. Don't make any decision in that frame of mind or spirit. Go out into a field and meditate. Empty your mind of everything that has to do with you and fill it with everything that has to do with God and Rebecca will come. The circumstance will open and he that doeth the will of God will abide forever. If you don't use what you've learned today, you're going to lose what you've learned. I ask you in the name of the Lord to use it. It has worked for me for years. And I stand here today to testify that I have an uncluttered spirit, an uncluttered mind. I am at peace from the top of my head underneath my feet. I am at peace with God and with the world. Because of God's divine revelation on how to live and make decisions. You can have the same. Believe it. As we stand together, please. Please turn the tape over.